Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. And so we've got to be on this path or this pursuit, constant pursuit of understanding. And so we began talking about what we have to understand as a body and individuals. And last week I told you that Jesus speaks very clearly. There's no room for negotiations. There's no real room for misunderstanding. He said it specifically. He talked about our mission. And then because Jesus was the best preacher of all, he didn't just talk about our mission. He actually took part in our mission. He followed up his words with action. And so you will remember that last week what I said to you is our mission is this. It's abundantly clear. Found people should be on a mission to find people. And we've got to understand that and embrace that and actually move out in action and do that. And that's why we do the things like what we do. We're going to do an Easter egg hunt. Uh, I read a, I, I receive a bunch of different emails all week long from various organizations. And one of them is an organization that uh, tries to teach churches how to grow using Easter as a pinnacle moment in the calendar year because you do know that Easter and Christmas are two times that uh, the unchurched will often decide to come to church just because that's what you're supposed to do. And they said uh, uh, three words that will help your church grow significantly. And they said this, Easter egg hunt. And they go on and say that you should do an Easter egg hunt after every service on your property. And they're right. It works. But that's that kind of conflicts with our mission. Found people, find people. We can do an Easter egg hunt on our property now. We, we couldn't used to do that because all we had was a parking lot and it's not hard to find eggs on concrete. But now we got like, we got, you know, gopher holes out in the yard that we could stick them in and some trees and all that kind of stuff. We could do that and all your kids would have fun and we want them to have fun at Easter. However, we have a mission. Our mission is to go find people that are not found. And so that's why we do the Easter egg hunts the way we do. We go to the apartment complex. We go to them. Instead of saying to them, you got to come find us, we will come and find you. We will get you on your territory, your turf. And that's the way we've, we've always operated. We'll continue to operate. We want to reach people. Your kids can come and have fun too. You can come and jump on the moon bounce if you want to. It won't bother us. You can come get your face painted if you want to. It won't bother us. But we are on a mission. And so Jesus said, you've got to do that. So this week what I want to do is I want to go one step further and say to you that Jesus, just as he did about the first understanding, found people, find people. He talked about it. Then he, he did it. This week, I don't want to talk to you about our mission. I want to talk to you about our mode. All right? So just hang with me. Here we go. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 25, this is what Jesus said. He said, Jesus talking, you've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around, how quickly a little power goes to their heads. It's not going to be that way with you. That's a powerful statement. It's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not be served. And then to give away his life in exchange for the many who are held hostage. So Jesus talks about mission and says, found people, find people. But then he begins to address our mode and and comes to this statement that we've got to understand as a body. And here it is in a nutshell, saved people serve people. 
We've got to embrace that truth. He declares that we must put others first, that our life must not be about being served, but instead we switch the, the, the table, we turn the table, and now because we've been saved, we begin to try our best to serve others and to take care of them. But Jesus didn't just stop at words. I told you that last week. It's what separates him from most of the other preachers in the world. He didn't just talk about being a servant. He actually goes one step further and puts actions to his words. And so he says this in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. It's not going to be on the screen for you, but I want you to listen because now he takes what he said and he actually lives it out. In John chapter 13, verse 4, it says, So he got up from the supper table and he set aside his robe and he put on an apron. And then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with his apron. Verse 13, 12 through 17. Then he said, do you understand what I've done to you? You address me as teacher and master and rightly so. That is what I am. So if I am the master and teacher and I've washed your feet, you must now wash, wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. A servant is not ranked above his master. An employee doesn't give orders to the employer. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it. And live a, catch this phrase, and live a blessed life. I, I want to read that little last statement out of a different version. It says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus models for us our mode, what we should be doing. The Son of God, the King of the universe, the greatest of the great, literally stoops down as one of his final lessons to his disciples, and he shows them very literal, in a very literal way, he shows them that saved people are called to serve people. He teaches us a very important lesson about salvation. He teaches us that when we become saved, it brings us closer to God, but it doesn't make us God. Uh, you don't understand what I'm saying. Because, see, some of us act like that once we got saved, we're too good to help anybody. And now that we're all righteous and holy and, and dripping with anointing, we can no longer kneel down and help anybody else. And we're too good to get our hands dirty and too too holy to, to touch those that are afflicted and we're... we're Jesus taught us that our salvation, although it does bring us closer to God, what it should do is it should give us a heart to serve somebody else. See, he makes this an uh, incredibly powerful statement that I don't know that I ever really thought about. As I begin to read this again and, and I watched what Jesus did, in one simple little sentence, he gives us, if you will, the very essence, the key to being blessed. How many of you want to be blessed? I want to be blessed. He, he doesn't say you can worship your way into being blessed. He doesn't say you can pray your way into being blessed. He doesn't do any of that. He connects our blessing with our service. Did you, he says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Uh, let me say it like this to you. Jesus makes it abundantly clear that your blessing level is directly related to your level of service we got to get this key, y'all. We, we, we all say we want to be blessed. I say, I, I wished he would have said, if you worship hard enough, 
you'll be blessed. Because how many of you know you can worship without a whole lot of sacrifice? I mean, you're not going to get to the deep, deepest modes of worship, but you can uh, worship uh, with, without a whole lot of sacrifice. It doesn't cost some of us very much to worship. We're not in a society yet where, where it costs you and people persecute you because you chose to come to church this morning, right? And so I wished he would have said, worship your way into blessing. He doesn't. I wish he could have said, why don't you pray your way into blessing? Because then I could do that in, my, in the privacy of my own home and nobody would even have to be involved and I wouldn't have to deal with anybody else and I wouldn't have to touch anybody else. I could just pray my way into a blessing. That's not what he said. He said, as an example, as he lives it out, if you will do what I just did, you will be blessed. See, I, I, I think we've got to understand that the logical conclusion is this. If I'm going to be blessed because I serve, if I don't serve, do I even need to finish the sentence? Then I will be cursed. In other words, when you get saved, you cannot set on, the ble- on your blessed assurance the rest of your life and do nothing. Right? You, you can't just check it in and say, I'm, I'm okay. Me and my family are in the ark and everybody else can just drown and I don't care. I'm not. No, we have got to come to this place where we understand that if we're saved, we must serve. It's essential. See, here's some, th- here's some things that you need to understand. Found people, find people, and the way we do that is that saved people serve people. Say that fast three times. Found people, find people, and the way that we find them is that saved people serve people. Let me see if I can't get your attention here. See, our world is never going to be reached by a screaming church. Now, I'm not talking about preaching volume because I get loud. I get excited, can't help it, it's just in me. All right, we're passion, we're supposed to be kind of loud. I never, we, you know, if we weren't going to be loud, we should have named ourselves like Mellow Church. I don't, you know, but we're Passion Church, all right? Apathetic Church or something. I don't know. We're Passion Church, so we're going to be loud. In fact, when I talk to people about our church, new folks, and they say, I may come check you out, I warn them. Not to turn them off, just so they'll know, hey, we're loud. Okay, just so you know. All right, we're loud. That's all right. That's not what I'm talking about. What we've got to understand is that a screaming church will never reach our world, but a serving church can change an entire community. Uh, Henry Ward Beecham said this. He said, compassion will cure more sins than condemnation. He's, he's right. See, I, I would say it like this. Our world will not be reached by a worshiping church. If our worship stays inside these four walls we can do that every Sunday and our world will never be impacted by that because they won't even know it it isn't the act of worship that changes people and reaches people it's the acts of worship some of y'all are going to get that and it's going to revolutionize the way you think it's not the act of worship. When we come together and we raise our hands and we shout and we spin and we sing and we jump, that's the act of worship. It is the acts of worship. When we walk out of this building and we reach out to people that haven't been in our worship service and we serve them, that is, that is the acts. Those are the acts of worship that reach out and touch somebody and change their life. Our preaching, if contained in this room, will never change our world. 
I don't underestimate the power of God's word. We need it. I'm all for preaching. You need it to grow. You need to hear the word of God explained. You need to chew on the word of God and it causes you to grow. But hear me this morning. If our preaching stays inside these four walls, then we never will change our world. We change our world by serving people. But the problem is is that Chick-fil-A is known more for their service than we are. And you get more smiles at Walmart than you typically do in church. What's up with that? We should be the most compassionate, kind, smiling, service-oriented people in the world. And not just while we're at church. See, our mode must change. Here's the truth. The disciples who walked with Jesus face to face, they battled posturing and positioning. Do y'all remember the stories where mama shows up and says, I want you to put my two sons at the head of the, I want them to be right next to you. Do you remember the arguments the disciples would have, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? When when Jesus enters the kingdom, who's going to be the greatest? They struck, They were face to face with Jesus and yet they battled with that, that concept of I want what's mine and I got to do me and I got to be elevated and this is all about me and I got a gift and I need to show it. And Jesus constantly had to rein them in. They, they, they constantly got caught up in diva displays. They were divas. Talent tussles. I can preach better than you can preach. I can sing better than you can preach or sing. I I can. And Jesus says, "You got it all wrong, guys. I'm the master. I'm the teacher. I'm higher than you. But I came to serve and not be served. See, if you have a gift, there is no doubt that you should be using it. In fact, Jesus talks about it in the New Testament. He tells a parable of the talents, and he he teaches us." A, a powerful lesson. If you don't lose it, you if you don't use it, you lose it. So if you have a gift, you shouldn't be sitting on your gift and hiding your gift and burying your gift. You should be utilizing that gift because if he gave you a gift, he he is expecting you to do something with it. But it's not about your gift. Well, there, there's a contradiction. But that's the contradiction we've got to understand. God gifted you, but he is not interested in you making a name for yourself a name for yourself with your gift. Okay. Uh, That's just the way it is. It's not about your gift. It's about you utilizing your gift to make a name for him. And so we... we, If we're not careful, what happens is is if we don't begin to utilize our giftings inside the body and outside the body into our communities, then what happens is we we try to get glory for the wrong person. We want the glory rather than uh, gaining glory for the master. The Bible says don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Right? Uh, So we we don't do what we do to get acclaim and to get fame and so somebody will pat us on the back. We do what we do for him. Because if we don't get that right, then we are doomed for power struggles and we're doomed for runaway egos and we're doomed to be glory grabbers. And the Bible says that God is a jealous God. He won't share his glory with anybody. And so we must begin to serve. So let me say it very plainly to you this morning. I want you to get this into your spirit. Service should be as natural for a believer as breathing. Everybody breathe. 
Do you need a command to breathe? Do, do, do you need, do, I need to put you in my cell phone, like call you every morning at 8 a.m. and say, come on now, breathe. Oh, I almost forgot. Whew. I'm glad you called and reminded me. I'm glad you stood up in the pulpit and pestered me to breathe. Whew. Saved my life. Right? But that's what it usually seems to take in the body to get people to serve. And what I'm saying to you is this. We are saved, so we should instantly be, that should instantly be translated into service. We don't serve to be saved. We serve because we are saved. And it should be a natural outflow. When we see a need, we fill it. I walk in and I see something on the floor. Well, that ain't my job. They've, they've, got, a, they've got a janitor. Y'all looking at me crazy, but I worked in that church. There'd be stuff all over the floor. People walk right by it, step over it. No, they'll get that when they come in. That's what they're paid to do. No, but if I breathe, I should serve. No, there's trash on the floor. Let me get that up. We see somebody pull up in the parking lot that is having a hard time getting out of their car and making it in. That's not my job. We got parking people for that. Ushers should go out there and help them. No. If we breathe, we should serve. It should be natural. No one should have to ask you or badger you into service. It should be a natural outflow of our relationship with the Lord. The concept of saved pew sitters who are parasites that always take and never give. Listen, I'm just telling you, every church has them. They come week after week, month after month, year after year, and they will ball you out if you sit in their chair or if you sing a song they don't like, but they never give anything. And I'm not even talking about money because they don't give that either, but, but they don't serve. They don't have a spirit of service. That should be so such a foreign concept of the body of Christ. We have been served by the greatest master of the universe. And so out of that should be birthed in us a desire to in turn serve those around us. See, I've, I've mentioned it to you before. There's this rule in church. It's the 80-20 rule. 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. That is a reality, but that can't be a reality in this body because we understand that saved people serve. Well, that's not my gift. Well, then find where your gift fits. Well, we need kids workers. Well, that's not my gift. Okay, we don't want you back there. If it's not your gift, you'll kill them and they'll kill you. <laughs> but what is your gift? How long are you going to set on your gift? You've been saved. It's time to serve. So how are you serving in the church and outside of the church? Can anyone really tell that you're saved by your service level? See, that takes it outside the body. Can anybody that you work with actually tell you're saved? If you took off all your Christian t-shirts and took the bumper stickers off your car and, and quit saying, I'm too blessed to be distressed when you shook their hand this morning, if you got rid of all that, could anybody tell that you're saved by how you serve? That's what should happen. See, Jesus preaches the greatest sermon on service when he tells the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. I know you know that story. It's an older story. You learned it in kids' church, Sunday school, whatever. You've known it. They did flannel graphs when you were 18 months old. And you, okay, you know, you know it all. All right. So he, he, 
tells this great story about service. So my question is, out of that, is we know the sermon, but are we living the sermon? Let me, let me just hit the highlights. A man leaves the safety of Jerusalem. The Bible says he begins the dangerous journey to Jericho. The road is designed for ambushes. It's uh, robbers and thieves make their living on that particular road. It's set up perfectly for them. Uh, maybe, maybe you don't know some of this. The, 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 the Bible says that the man goes down to Jericho. That is a literal statement. It's a 17-mile walk that drops 3,000 feet in elevation during the duration of that walk. He goes down to Jericho. But it's not only a literal statement, it is a spiritual statement too. He is leaving the house of blessing to journey down to the house of cursing. Go back and read what happens in the Old Testament when Joshua and the people begin to... to, I I almost wanted to sing Joshua. Is it fit the battle? How do we use... Fit the battle of Jericho. They walk around. They don't say anything. There's a there's a novel idea for church folk people. They don't say anything for, okay, y'all didn't get that. You'll get it later. They go round and round, and then the walls fall down. And the Bible, go back and read it for yourself. The Bible says that Joshua literally curses the city. He says, woe be to any man that rebuilds this city. They will be cursed. So he's literally leaving the house of blessing, and he's journeying down to the house of of cursing and right there in a nutshell is the greatest message ever preached on the need for service because too many of us stand by idly by and do nothing and we watch people begin a journey down and we do nothing about it we will watch them to their own demise leave the house of blessing and make steps and take practical, everyday decisions. Make those kind of decisions that you sit there and go, oh, that was a terrible decision. And we will watch them make their way to the city of cursing. And we won't do anything to stop them. And Jesus comes along in that story and he says, that's not how we should live. He says what we should do is when we begin to see people make that journey down, we, if, we're, if we're religious people, we will ignore them. And if we're we're Pharisees, we will cross to the other side of the road and try to get away from them. But if we're saved, we go after them. And we find them and we serve them. In fact, what he says is this. He says, we expose ourselves to attack. If it was dangerous for him, it was just as dangerous for the Samaritan because he had money. Remember the story? He actually pays for him to be housed after he's attacked, right? He had money. It's dangerous for him too. So we we open ourselves to exposure to attack. What I'm saying to you and what Jesus is saying to you is you got to get outside these four walls and open yourself to attack. you got to love people that nobody else loves and serve when nobody else will serve. Then he says this. He says when we find those kind of people that are headed down, we arm ourselves with wine and oil. That sounds strikingly similar to the Holy Spirit 
He's saying to us that we should be armed, that we should have the weapon of the Holy Spirit in our life. We should be anointed for service so that when we leave this place, we've worshipped and done all that, and it's all good, and that's what you're supposed to do on Sunday morning. Woo! And then we leave this place, and the power of the Holy Spirit that now resides in us begins to ooze out on people that have left the house of blessing and are headed for a cursing, and we reach in and we bring healing. Holy Spirit is not so you can worship better. I said that in a Pentecostal church. I thought the Holy Spirit was about getting goosebumps. No, the Holy Spirit is so you can serve better. That's what it's all about. See, the, the, the truth is, is, oh, I almost forgot. We do invest our finances. I wish you would have skipped that part. But he took money out of his own pocket and paid for somebody that couldn't pay. That's why we sponsor little kids to play basketball. That's why we got folks coming to Financial Peace that need a breakthrough and we're scholarshiping. That's why we reach out to people and invest in them because we believe that God has called us to do that. That is service. So here it is. We, I want you to get this. We have the ability to serve people into the kingdom of God. Y'all missed it. We literally have the ability to serve people into the kingdom of God. And we also have the ability to shoulder colder people, cold shoulder, cold shoulder, cold shoulder people into hell. Let that sink in. That's why it's important on Wednesday nights in 110 degree weather, never speaking religious language we walk into an apartment complex set up and give people hot dogs well, what's spiritual about that that is one of the most spiritual acts you will ever be a part of because it hurts a little bit and it's hot and it's nasty and they're not thankful half the time these little kids come up and grab like nine hot dogs and never say thank you and while you're doing it you're planting a seed that will cause people to later remember Man, when I was nine years old, this group used to come out. Who were the old church? And we served them into the kingdom of God. Listen to this statement, and then I'll move on. The true nature of our heart is seen in its response to the unattractive. I'm going to say that again. That's a powerful statement. I wished I'd come up with it. I didn't. The true nature of our heart is seen in how we respond to the unattractive. It ought to be easy to serve in here because y'all all look good. Well, some better, I'm talking about myself now. Some of y'all look better than others, you know, because y'all thinking the same thing about me right now. So back at you. But, but what about at work when Joe Blow on the other side of the cubicle is about to drive me crazy and I don't like him? 
What about my classmate that drives me crazy? What about my neighbor that keeps throwing stuff in my yard and let their dog come visit my yard instead of staying in their yard? You understand what I'm saying? Our heart is is revealed by how we respond to the unattractive. One writer goes on and he says this. He says, "Um, tell me whom you love and I will tell you who you are. And what I want to say to you as a body, corporately we've got to understand this. And individually we have to understand this. Our response to need reveals who we are. And then finally let me say this to you. Um, We've got to come to understanding. I, I told you last week that not only do found people find people, I told you that we should celebrate what God celebrates. He celebrates people getting saved. This week I've told you that saved people serve people. But there's one other element out, out of that, and that, that is this. Saved people should also celebrate those who serve. We should go out of our way to show our appreciation to those who go above and beyond. Those people that practice self-sacrifice and make things better for us, we should go out of our way to celebrate them. Why? Because, here's why. When you see somebody serving, you are literally seeing Jesus. They will never show you Jesus at any more clear moment than at the moment that they do something that you wouldn't do. So let me, let me bring it home and then, and then I'll end. That means that you should go out of your way to appreciate our ushers and greeters. I've literally been told, that this is a year and a half ago, I was told by somebody that used to come to our church, I don't like those greeters. They get in my way. Really? They're here to serve you, to open the door so you don't have to. We should thank those people. Sound, tech, they're too loud. They use too much smoke. Wish they'd leave the lights alone. Really? They were here three hours before you got here so that you could hear clearly and see and be moved by the Holy Spirit. Maybe instead of complaining, we ought to be thankful and recognize that they serve. What about kids workers? Man, we got kids workers that, that never or very seldom even come into here and worship like you do because they care so much about you that they want you to be able to worship without having to take care of your rugrat. Well, they're taking care of my rugrat too, so don't look at me like that, so that we can do what God has called us to do. We've got a, a lady that has been attending this church I don't know how long. I tried to find out how long she's been teaching children. The reality is, to my knowledge, is up until we combined, she was teaching children every week without ever having a week off and like I I tried to ask around and find out how long Miss Mary had been teaching children and the only answer I could get was since she was a teenager so that means like she's been teaching at least five years I'm not going there Um, all right those of you that know Miss Mary know that that's probably a little longer than that but since she was a teenager, she's been back in that room or some room like that teaching children. That means even if you don't have any children, you ought to make your way down the hall, occasionally stick your head in that room and say, thank you so much. Every time I see you walk in here to take care of those little kids, I see Jesus walk in the building. 
I'm saying to you that worship teams and kids workers and coffee makers and cookie bakers. So y'all just think we buy those cookies. No, we don't. They're made. They are put together made. Miss Marge and my mom have been putting cookies together now forever. Every Saturday while you're sleeping in, they're up making cookies. Well, I don't get any of those cookies. Well, that's your fault. You, you should have got them on the first time you visited. <laughs> Simple acts of service. Renee Cohen, every week. Y'all don't even know some of this. Renee Cohen, Mikhail, uh, and other people, Amy, handwrite notes to every visitor we have to let them know that's service. And so what I say is we should celebrate. But, but let me just say that. That can't stop inside this church. Garbage collectors, we ridicule them. But what would your neighborhood look like without them? Police officers, firemen, teachers. And this one's hard. Politicians. For all their stupidity, they still help. I mean, you look, I thought about this. You look around our nation right now. What shape would our nation be in if there weren't somebody that cared enough about this nation to put roads in places and hospitals and all this? We don't even think. Listen, we should celebrate those people. So we've got to serve like Jesus served. Who are you serving? How are you serving? And then I close with this example. His name was Bill. Bill was a college student, kind of crazy looking, wild hair, uh, rumpled, crumpled t-shirt, holes all in it, jeans all in his, uh, holes all in his jeans, and he went around for four years like that with no shoes on. Kind of crazy, a little bit different, kind of eccentric, but incredibly intelligent and bright. And uh, sometime during his freshman year, he gave his heart to Jesus. And across the road from the college that he was attending, there was this real formal-looking, high-church-looking, steeple, stained-glass windows, organ music church. And he makes up his mind he's going to visit because he heard they're going to start a college ministry, and so he wants to check it out. So one Sunday morning, he walks into church late. He's in his holy jeans, no shoes on, crazy-looking hair, ratted-up old T-shirt, and he walks in, and as he walks in the back door, he begins to walk down the back aisle, down the middle aisle to find a place to, to sit. The only problem was it was packed. And so he begins all the way from the back. He just makes his way down to the, looking everywhere, can't find a seat. And people begin to notice what's going on, and they're getting really nervous because he's different. And he keeps looking and looking, and he can't find anything, and he finally finds his way all the way to the front row, and people are getting, it's got, all, everything has stopped. It has become incredibly quiet and uncomfortable and tense and he finds his way to the front row and looking he sees nothing he just squats down on the floor and begins to worship that's acceptable in a college room that's not so great in a church and people are really nervous and, and uncomfortable total and utter silence and the preacher stands up behind the pulpit and he sees him coming an 80 year old deacon with a cane formal three piece suit dignified, elegant, if you will, gray hair, and he's making his way down the aisle, and it's so quiet, the only thing you can hear is his cane tapping the floor as he's coming. And all the people begin to mutter to themselves, the kid deserves it. He should know better. He should have cleaned up before he got in here. And he walks all the way down, and he gets right next to the young man, and 
people are totally flabbergasted by what happens. He places his cane on the floor, and with unbelievable effort and pain, he lowers himself down, and he sits down next to Bill and begins to worship with him. And the preacher takes the pulpit, and after he could, after overtaken by emotion, he could barely contain himself, he makes this statement. He says, what I'm about to preach to you, you will never remember. But what you've just seen, you will never forget. And I want to tell you this morning that people will forget our logo, and they will forget our good music, and they will forget my messages. But the one thing they cannot resist is a church of people that will learn to serve individuals. And as we reach out and serve people around us and greet them with a smile and go into the community and love on them, they will remember what we told them by our service. Saved people serve people. I want you to stand with me this morning. So here it is in a nutshell. How are you serving? There are places in this body you can serve, but there are a lot of places outside this body you need to serve as well. I am releasing you as saved people to find somebody you can serve into the kingdom of the Lord. Father, this morning, motivate us. Motivate us. We, we're, we recognize this morning that we can't work our way into salvation, that, that we're already saved. But many of us are, somehow we've lost compassion and we become untouchable and satisfied with having our needs met. Well, it was a good service. I had my needs met. Father, this morning, I pray that you would simply remind us that if we're saved, as natural as we're drawing breath right now, we should serve. Father, under the sound of my voice, there are individuals that have unbelievable gifts that could be utilized inside this building and outside this building. Father, we refuse any longer to sit on our gifts and be divas and glory grabbers. And I ask that you would cause us to rise up as an army of people that will go out of their way to serve people as you've shown us how to serve. And I pray Father, we would begin to celebrate those who serve. I pray that we would become very thankful. We would literally find people that are going out of their way to not only to make our church better, but to make our lives better. And we would honor them and thank them and appreciate them. Because every time we see somebody pick up our trash and every time we see somebody take care of our kids, Every time somebody opens the door for us and says, welcome to Passion Church. And every time we see a visitor get cookies. And every time we see a police officer driving down the road. We are literally watching you. Help us to be thankful, I pray. Motivate us, I pray. In Jesus' name, help us to serve. And I'll end like this. Pastor Danny's coming. He's going to give you some instructions and receive our morning tithes and offering.
And we'll say our little live with passion. But here's your assignment. As soon as we do that, I want you to find somebody whose service you so appreciate. One in here and one out of here. And write them a note, send them an email, slap them on the back, hug their neck, and express thanks for what they do. When you really want to freak somebody out outside the church, why don't you go up to somebody that served you in some way and just hug them on the neck and say, I see Jesus in you. Huh? What the? They might just start a conversation and it might change their perspective of people that love Jesus. That's your assignment today. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.